to another episode of the Political Science Report. This will be episode seven. We just finished a six-episode series on the six most impactful articles from the May 2022 APSR, and it went well. This is my first time recording in a couple of months because I kind of stock recorded. I don't know if there's a term for that. The first six episodes over summer, and then I'm just finishing my quarter now. So I do have a little bit more time to get back into it and begin to to stock up some more. But I'm happy with how the first series went. Learned a lot of things about making a podcast, about how to advertise it. Um, I do have the Twitter for this podcast, at PolySciReport. That's at P-O-L-I-S-C-I Report. You can go ahead and follow me there. Right now I have two followers, so would love to have more, but if not, that's not really the main purpose of this. It's been cool to track some of the analytics of the podcast. So in the six episodes, right now I have a total of 77 downloads, and I'm guessing it's probably from VPNs and stuff, but it's cool to see a lot of downloads in the U.S., Mexico, Honduras, Dominican Republic, each have 15 downloads, and many more other countries new york specifically nine chicago nine so just kind of cool to track some of those things but i'm just trying to stay consistent with it stay up to date and so i actually am excited to announce that i have a website now personal website john m murphy dot squarespace dot com you can go ahead and check out some of my other work kind of more of my academic work there and without further ado i think we can go ahead and get into it just wanted to give a little update on just the podcast as it's been interesting to record it all in like august and then now with being early december and just seeing how it all has gone and i just personally finished up phd applications and so i um, could not be more excited to be done with those those were due like last tuesday december 1st or I got them done Tuesday, but it was actually due date December 1st was Thursday. But anyway, six, I'm excited to have those done and to be able to spend a little bit more time on this. So before we begin this new series, which is going to be about race, it's going to be like a five-episode series about race, a really important political science area of study. kind of want to set the stage for what the series is going to be about. Race is a wide-ranging topic. That has a lot of different areas of study, a lot of different perspectives on it. Um, but within political science, it is a subfield, a pretty well-established subfield, I would say. Though it's not an official subfield at a lot of, I guess, poli-sci departments. Like when I was applying, a place like UCLA, for example, has a very clear cut I can apply to um, specifically have race and ethnic politics or REP as my primary subfield of study. Within American politics, some places it's separate than American politics and its own field, some places it's not exactly there. I think when I applied to University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, it wasn't exactly a subfield. It just applied for American politics, and some of the American politics professors also focus on REP specifically, but there's no subfield for it. So it's definitely pretty prominent in the field. You know, it has an established acronym, REP. But it's not at every single university as a dominant subfield within the field of political science or even American politics. 
So as we begin this series, I thought it'd be very important to begin with the concept of race itself before we talk about the study of it, how it can maybe predict for certain political behavior, how public opinion studies race. I thought the concept of race would be really important to talk about as it's conceptualized in political science. Answer a lot of basic questions about what race is, why does it matter, how should we even think about it, is it static, is it changing? So the primary article I'll be looking at today is called The Race Project, Researching Race in the Social Sciences, Researchers, Measures, and Scope of Studies. And this is by John A. Garcia in 2017 from the University of Michigan. John A. Garcia is now Professor Emeritus at the University of Michigan, and I believe previously directed the Institute for Social Research, which is housed at the University of Michigan. It's the, I think it's the largest data house of, <laughs> data house of social science research in the nation, and maybe even the world. It's a really, really large database of tons and tons of uh, social science research that you can go ahead and search. Something that I really appreciate about the I ICPSR, which is within the Institute for Social Science Research. ICPSR stands for Interuniversity Consortium of Political and Social Research. Something I appreciate about it is that you can search up variables. And so I recently was doing a project on interracial marriage. And so instead of like typical university library databases where you type in maybe interracial marriage and then it gives you 150 articles about it, when you search it, in the ICPSR, you can not only search articles that contain that word, but also you can search up variables in different studies. So you can look at surveys where specifically there is a question about interracial marriage. So just do a live drill right now. If I type in interracial marriage into the ICPSR, I can sort by studies, I can sort by variables, I can sort by data series. So when I search up variables, it shows me, do you approve or disapprove of marriage between blacks and whites? That's taken from Detroit area study, 1998, white racial ideology. And it even has the question item number B15, approve interracial marriage. It tells you the variable type is numeric, the data set is DS1. The variable name is Q153. And so it's, just, it's a unique data. Uh, database for, for me at least and it was cool for me to look at after reading this article back in August or September or something like that just to mention one unique feature of it um, as I see it that I think is interesting but anyways John Garcia was a professor at the University of Arizona in political science for 38 years I was just actually there recently my dad lives in that area and so I was able to check out the University of Arizona in Tucson it's a pretty cool place a lot of a lot of life a lot of college life there he has a total of 109 publications. I found that on ResearchGate. He's published on elections, political sociology, survey methodology, public opinion analysis, or public policy analysis, and a lot of kind of mainstream traditional American politics research topics. So he's not only interested in race and ethnic politics, but also more traditional, yeah, political science topics of study. The article itself, according to Google Scholar, has a total of 28 citations may seem odd to a place to begin, you know, sometimes when you're starting a new series, you're talking about a concept, you might want to go to a canonical article, you know, something like reading Dawson in this case, uh, Michael Dawson, 
famed, specifically African-American, um, political science researcher. But even though this article only has 28 citations, you know, and not to idolize numbers and citations, but just to just to point that out, I think this article does a really good job and was really insightful for me to talking about how race is conceptualized, maybe some of the problems with that, because the very question of this study is how how are studies, how are researchers conceptualizing race in the social sciences? So this article gives us a really good touch point of how the social sciences and particularly, not particularly, but within the results that he shows, how political science specifically has conceptualized race, some of the shortcomings of that, and then how we can improve that for future studies. So let's get into the article. I'm going to begin by reading the abstract just to try that out. That's not something I've done in previous podcasts. I've thought about it, but I just want to try to do that as it's a good summary. And then I can kind of work from there and in, in bring out what I think is most important for the topic. So here is the abstract quote. While the concept and measurement of race has been a longstanding focus of social science research, capturing its significance requires a broader notion than utilizing only racial group categories. More recently, race has been treated as both a characteristic and a set of experiences that affect a multitude of life conditions and outcomes. This discussion and analysis moves away from treating race as only a categorical and static characteristic to a multidimensional concept that is dynamic, relational, and represents the intersection of individual ecological and structural components. By exploring the data collection of the Inter-University Consortium for Political and Social Research, end quote, that's the ICPSR, coming back, and studies that include race as a variable, we were able to trace how race has been used by social scientists over the past 60 years. Using an extensive coding protocol, we have attained key characteristics of the principal investigators, funders, scope of the overall study, and the use of different measures of race. As a result, this meta-analysis of social science surveys enabled this researcher to examine how these studies use a wide scope of racial variables and the way in which principal investigator characteristics affected the inclusion of race-related items. In addition, bivariate analysis is presented to examine social scientists' tendencies in investigating race and inclusion of qualitative examples of item wording and response categories. This overview of social science studies is placed in the context of conceptual and measurement issues surrounding the use and meaning of race. Hopefully, this can serve to advance the discussion and strategic approaches in doing research about race and what should be incorporated in studying race as a lived experience. End quote. So, that's the abstract of it. In short, this researcher, Johnny Garcia, is studying how race has been conceptualized in the social sciences over the last 60 years by looking at the variables that scientists use to capture race of the respondent. He shows how the race of the, the principal investigator, the PI, affects the types of questions that are used to categorize race and how we can, theoretically, the concept as race has evolved but empirically, the use, the way to measure race has not quite evolved. So, in other words, theoretically, people have advanced their understanding of race. It's a social construct. It's more than just a category. It's a lived experience. It's, it's your experience. It's 
it has to do with meaning making and all these different things, but we still measure it as just a checkbox. Oh, indicate your race on this, put it into a regression, you know, don't separate the regressions by race. And then that's all it raises, just a checkbox, even though theoretically and conceptually, we know that it's more than that. So this article is trying to say, how do we get our empirical analysis to match up with our theorizing about what race is as a lived experience? So I want to begin at the beginning of the abstract in capturing race. He says that capturing race requires a broader notion than utilizing only racial group categories. The way, and this is very important, the way that race is most often conceptualized is in clear-cut, mutually exclusive static boxes. You are white, you are black, you are Latino, you are Asian. Sure, there are centers within each of these categories, but the boundaries are quite blurry. So if you saw me, for example, I look quite white. You would probably guess that I'm white. But what if I happen to actually be from Argentina and spoke fluent only, I only spoke fluent Spanish. Am I white? Am I Latino? Uh, what about someone who's Filipino? And just by looking, you cannot tell, are they Asian? Are they Latino? What about someone who's brown and has curly hair? Are they Latino, indigenous? Are they black? Um, what are they? And so the point of this is that even though it may intuitively seem like, oh, race is a very clear cut thing. This person looks black, this person looks white, da 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 da. It's actually not that clear, even if you take the basic visual approach to race. And this is what's often called and, and what Garcia calls the phenotypical approach to race. So if you remember phenotypes from freshman biology, remember you make the Punnett squares with dominant and recessive genes. The genotype is the actual genetic combination of the plant that you're studying, but the phenotype is the way that it looks. So a flower with two dominant genes, one with a dominant and recessive gene, those will all have the same phenotype. They'll all look like the dominant gene. They'll all look the same, have the same physical phenotypic appearance but they have different genotypes. They have different genetic makeups. A flower with two recessive genes will have a different phenotype and a different genotype. And so in the same way, someone who is half black and half white may have the same phenotype. They may present the same way, may both look dark skin, may look black, um, but they are they have different genetic makeups. Not to say that race is has a genetic basis, but that individual is made up of two different races coming together in one person. So what they look like isn't exactly where they come from in terms of one parent being white, one parent being black. And so even by looking at someone, you may say these two people look identically dark and black, but one is actually white and black as one is actually black. And so even that phenotypic approach falls short in a lot a lot of, of ways that you, you're not able to make any sort of scientific study out of simply the phenotypic approach where you say, oh, you are this race, you look this race, you are this race, you look this race. And this brings me to the next point about broadening the complexity of race. Um, experience is really important about, experience is really important when it comes to race, about your own experience, how you view yourself, your self-identification, your self-concept. Um, and it's really important about the experience that you have because of other people treat you. But I'll begin by your own experience and your own self-image. So going back to the example of the half black and half white person and the full black person, they may look the same, 
but they don't have the same things going on behind the scenes. And does that matter at all? Does that affect the person's race? Um, because the race, uh, because the half and half person, the half white, half black person, will probably have a different experience than the person who is full black. They will hypothetically have certain consciousness of their culture. They'll have different culture going on behind the scenes. They'll maybe think of themselves as a white and black person and not just think of themselves as a black person. And so that brings us to the concept of self-identification. So you can take a phenotypic approach where you say, oh, you look this way, so that is what your racial category is. You can take a self-identification approach in which you ask simply the person, oh, what race do you identify as? And in that way, you might be able to capture some of the complexity of, oh, I look this way, but I actually identify this way because my mom taught me this way. My dad taught me that way. I have white cousins. I have black cousins. I, I feel kind of both. And so I identify as half black, half white, which is something the phenotypic approach wouldn't fully be able to capture. But one of the possible shortcomings of this approach is that it doesn't fit into boxes as neatly as the, the phenotypic approach. And it doesn't quite capture how other people may treat you. So is race about how other people simply see you? Is it about how you see yourself? Or is it about how other people treat you as well? And so I'll get into that in a bit of a minute. But I think in, in a minute. But an example of how self-image matters in racial identification is there's a lot of examples. There's one famous one that for the life of me, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, but it, it's people who take DNA tests and find out that they're not exactly what they were. I've been Googling all morning. I cannot find this guy. I learned about it in a race and ethnicity class in college uh, or race and racism class in college. But there's a black man who lived his whole life as a black man. His mom taught him he was black. He grew up in a black family. Um, I think he became a politician or something. And he lived his whole life thinking he was black, living as if he were black, being treated as if he were black. But he took a DNA test and found out he was something like 75% Native American and was actually not black in the same way he thought that he was. He only conceived of himself as black and didn't have a secondary identity and definitely didn't have a different primary identity. And so imagine you live your whole life in this one way. You build your self-concept of race as I'm a black man, I live like a black man, that is kind of the narrative you live into, the story you tell yourself, you are a black man, but you take an ancestry.com test and then you find out that you're actually 75% Native American. It's not about how you, you know, individually come away from that. It's not about saying, oh, that means that you are Native American, you're actually not black. But even though that 25% of you is how you dominantly saw yourself for the entirety of your life and how how people treated you that way and so i think that brings into the conversation some of the the complexity as well is that there's there might be a genetic dynamic in terms of um, your ethnicity and your ethnic background but then there's also that self-image of how you how you create your self-image is he not a black man anymore because he's actually not predominantly black or and so I just bring that up to to show that there are some complexities of even the self-image of is there actually something going on behind the scenes of, oh, you're actually 
not black or you you are native american and, and so what does that exactly mean it's not as clear cut as oh he looks black therefore he is black and so this brings me to the next point um, and i opened by talking about the phenotypic approach to race um, and then we talked about the self-concept of race how do you see yourself how do you identify now I want to talk about something important called ascriptive identity, which is how other people identify and treat you. And this was a really important point for me. Um, this is something that I didn't fully understand. I think this article kind of helped me and a lot of other conversations helped me. But race is not just about how you look or any sort of genetic basis or even how you see yourself. But race is also about how other people treat you. And this is becoming increasingly important and is included as a question on the CMPS, the Collaborative Multiracial Post-Election Survey. If you're walking down the street, what race would someone think you are? So maybe they, in their primary identity, they say, oh, I'm white, because maybe they're black and white, but they identify more with white. But then if they were walking down the street, someone would say, oh, I, they would probably think I'm black, actually. And so some there's some complexity there. But uh, that's kind of more to do with how people see you. But I want to talk about how people see you and how people treat you as being really important. And so imagine back to our hypothetical but very real person who's half white, half black. And I want to make a sidebar here um, to not be stuck in the black-white paradigm. I recognize I'm using those examples a lot. And I don't want to exclude other races in this conversation. But I think for the purposes of demonstration, it might be easiest for me to give these as examples and for people to think of these as examples in the way of talking about the shortcomings of how we conceptualize as race. So I just want to make a quick sidebar and and acknowledge that that black and white dynamics and visually might even be just easiest to have people begin to see what what this author is talking about when he talks about these things. So imagine this person that is genetically white and black but looks entirely black. Other people are going to treat this person as black what does that mean it means maybe he will be more likely to be followed around in a store maybe he'll be given less leniency by a police officer maybe he'll be given the benefit of the doubt when he's in predominantly black spaces and might be able to leverage that identity positively and so it could have all kinds of important consequences for his life that shape who he is and who he thinks he is and how other people treat him other people treating him as black may do something to sustain or challenge a self-image that he has. Maybe he leans more into his white parents' cultural and racial identity. But by looking black, he's constantly reminded that he is black. People call him the black person. People say, oh, this guy, he's black. People maybe negatively treat him because he's black. And so it, it affects this person's self-image of how he sees himself. And so how other people treat him and how much people remind him of what he of his phenotypic race, not just his uh, genotypic race, is also an important thing to consider when we're trying to conceptualize race. And so an example of this is one of my good friends who's both white and Asian, uh, but he looks more, he presents more Asian than white. And so... He has to figure out for himself how he views himself, and he has to figure out how, if he presents himself in a certain way, he also has to navigate how other people treat him. And so I'm not the most 
proud of this moment, but it was, I think I was in eighth grade or something. It was one of the, it was the first time we met. And he, like I said, he looks more Asian. I remember he was giving me his phone number and we had talked for a little bit and then he was giving me his phone number and I said, oh yeah, what was your last name again? Was it Kim? And then, and then he just laughed at me. He's like, no, my last name is Wilson. It's like not an Asian last name at all. And I, not growing up around very many Asian people, had this concept, you know, of like, oh, he's Asian. Maybe I didn't hear his last name. Is it Kim or something like that, you know? And so I say that example to to share that this person who presents as Asian more to people will probably encounter other ignorant white people like me who will treat him more as Asian and ask him more frequently, oh, where are you from? Oh, what is your last name again? Oh, do you use chopsticks or whatever? All these different kinds of things will treat him as if he is Asian more than as if he is white. And so that's going to be something that will probably, and maybe not every single time, but will influence how he views himself. And so imagine me and so many other white people, you know, constantly asking him questions like that and treating him essentially as if he were just Asian and not white. And so the point is that that's got to also do something to how he sees himself, his racial identity, and then also what his racial identity is and what it means to be his racial identity in in America. And so I say all of these things in the work of Garcia to basically try to point out that race is not a static concept. We've moved past essentialist or scientific conceptions of race for the most part. I want to spend a brief moment here because these are historically important and Garcia does touch on them, but scientific reasons for categorizing race are some of the most historically ugly reasons for racial categorization. Um, those are the type of things that, you know, you maybe measure someone's head or the length of someone's fingers or the size of a nose or lips or something like that to say, oh, this person is racially categorized as this. And so that that was very historic, very ugly historically because it it did two things is that it made stark lines for race and it tried to make race real. It said this is genetic, this is real, but it also hierarchized. I don't know if that's a word, but it hierarchized race and said that, oh, certain races, the white race is the best. And then there's this hierarchy of descending races. So it made it real and it made it hierarchy rather than just different. But I think we we now recognize that that was so problematic and so rooted in white supremacy and, and white ideology that race is actually neither real to social construction, nor is it, if it's not real, it's also not about a hierarchy, it's just about difference. So the scientific, the old, even though I'm sure it still exists, approach to race is that it's real and that it's about hierarchy that it's more than just different and it's actually real. But now we kind of see race as socially constructed, so it's not quite real and it's not about hierarchy, it's just about difference. And even within difference, there is, you know, something is different, it's not normal, there's a conversation there. But more than just scientific, an essentialist approach to race is to say, it's from essentialism. Essentialism is the idea that there is a essence to someone's identity saying that all Asian people share an Asian identity essence. All white people share an 
a white identity essence. There's some essence that strings together and connects everyone from this single identity. And that's where the scientific things try to, oh, it's this size of this thing, or it's this behavior is the essence. But most people, I think, have moved on from an essentialist conception. You know, I think, I think a lot of people mistake more progressive people for having an essentialist conception. You know, that's one of the bit, oh, what does my skin have to do with, or what does someone else's skin have to do with how good of a governor they'll be or how good of a representative they'll be? Um, as if they think more progressive people think, oh, there's a, there's an essential identity, a, a, some essential superpower that this person's skin color gives them to do this thing. Uh, but that has a lot more to do with the experience of having that identity. And so I don't want to go into too much there. Um, we just read this, so I will give it a quick note. A pretty, 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 pretty important article that was really helpful for me is uh, Jane Mansbridge. Should blacks represent blacks and women represent women? A contingent yes. I think that goes into more some of the essentialist conceptions of race and, and some of the conversation there. But Garcia's point and what I'm trying to make here is that race is not essentialist. It's not scientific. It is fluid. It is moving. It is captured in how someone sees themselves. It's also captured in physical appearance. It's captured by how other people treat someone and basically effectively what someone's race is. And so there's all these different dimensions that are completely watered down when we have a simple question that says, please state your race. And then you try to do all these analyses off of black or white or Asian as if the complexity of the different experiences can be captured by how a single person identifies themselves because it's not capturing how they're treated. It's not capturing what they look like and how that affects how they're treated. It's not capturing maybe where they feel like they culturally identify. It's not capturing all these different things that, that really matter and that would go a long way to better describe race in empirical studies. So we've seen that race is about how you see yourself, race is about your experiences and your culture, race, race is socially constructed, race is about how other people treat you. I think that's a really important point, like I said earlier, um, because I think a lot of more white conservative people will say things like, oh, does race have to matter so much? Why can't fill in the blank? But usually something like Asian people, black people, why do they care so much about their race? Race is socially constructed, we just need to forget about it. Well, the point about how people treat you is really important here because if I'm constantly treated differently because of my race, then race is going to incredibly, to be incredibly salient for me. When I'm personally, when I'm in a setting where I am the minority, whether it's my race, whether it's even my ability to do something well, maybe it's how I look. Let's just use my race, for example. Whatever setting I'm in that I'm the minority, that becomes more salient to me. When I'm not around a lot of white people, I notice my whiteness more often. When I'm the white person in a setting and my whiteness becomes more important to me and the people around me and I am the white person to them and they say, oh, he's white, he's here white and it becomes something different, that's when I realize most clearly and most frequently, oh, that I am right, I am white. 
And so obviously that's a an incomplete comparison because I opt out of those times. I opt out of those con contexts often. I can opt out of those contexts. I'm not forced to always be in them. But imagine there's no escape and I'm always the white person. I'm, I'm, my, my racial identity is always different than those around me. And so when I'm around those who are exactly the same that I forget about and that is not as important to me. And so that's just a quick point there that I think a lot of people miss. They think that race is just something that you can forget about. It just happens to be part of your identity. It's not very important, but that's obviously not the case depending on how, whether you're a majority or minority, how much your race is brought up how much people treat you. And I think the irony is that a lot of times it's the people who want to forget about race in some colorblind ideology who are the ones who reinforce the salience of it as a predictor of certain particularly negative outcomes. So this also bleeds into the question of why study race at all. People saying that race doesn't matter anymore. Um, it's not as simple as that. Let's just start with the null hypothesis that people from different racial categories do not have different outcomes in life. Outcome of person, outcome A of white people equals outcome B of black people equals outcome C of Latino people equals outcome D of Asian people. This is not true. Study after study, almost everything that you can test will essentially be different between different racial groups. And so the null hypothesis is not true. There is enough evidence to reject this null hypothesis. I think that's how you state it. <laughs> so finally, before we get into the race project of Garcia, all this is to make a simple point again and again, that's what I'm trying to reiterate, that the way that race has been traditionally studied as a checkbox in the social sciences is severely, severely deficient it, it has not caught up to our conceptualization of race. And so our empirical study of race is still a, a gap away from our theorization of race, simply creating a binary or categorical variable to describe someone's racial identity is insufficient because it does not capture the complexity in a meaningful way of the various experiences of race that we've talked about over the last however many minutes. This sentiment is echoed by many other authors Notably, uh, Deborah M. Figert. She has an article that we read called More Than Just a Dummy Variable. Yeah, Figert, 1997. Gender as more than a dummy variable. Feminist approaches to discrimination. The point is that when we just think of race as this simple dummy variable or as a simple categorical variable, we miss a lot of the complexity that's going on there. That's not doing justice to Figert's article but that's another one in a similar vein. So for example, one of the ways that race has been used, I've done in my own studies um, over the summer, I did an internship where I you know, coded everyone's racial identity and I just put it into a single model. And so the predictions for Hispanic, for white, for Asian, for black, all had the same um, control variables, you know, it said, oh, education this, or income this, it had this sort certain effect on it. Um, but that's not a good way to capture the different ways that certain control variables work differently for different racial groups. So, for example, I'm going to pull it up here, the interracial marriage project that I'm working on. Um, that's something that I did is I ran different regressions for each racial group, 
And then more than that, I ran different regressions for each gender racial group. So not only for black respondents, but black male respondents and black female respondents. And that allows a lot more diversity of what is actually going on within these groups. And so just an example from my own research here is that in predicting for intermarriage, education is at uh, the p-value of something like 8% or 0.08. It's not quite conventionally statistically significant, but for white people, education is positively significant for intermarriage. For black people, it is not significant, nor is it any sort of strong correlation. It's point, negative 0.025 for me. Um, but for Asians, it's statistically significant and negative in predicting for intermarriage education is. But for Hispanic respondents, it was significant and positive. So different directions for Asian and Hispanics. Contrarily, income, is that a word? Contrarily, income is no effect for whites, no effect for blacks, but negative and significant for Asians and positive and significant for Hispanics. And so when you put the different races into these different regressions, which maybe now seems like common sense, but not always has been, you get to find more of the complexity of how these certain control variables are working out within the different races. And when you just put them all into a single regression and treat it as a simple categorical variable, you're missing a lot of that complexity. Um, that touches on the complexity of your experience with as identifying with being treated with having experience having a culture as a certain racial identity so one final example that i want to give that garcia talks about he mentions um, the idea of why can't we just use a reflection spectrometer so in other words why can't we just create a device that reads someone's skin color and the darkness of the color of someone's skin and then scientifically make assessments off of that he says, quote, at the same time, the accuracy and precision of a reflection spectrometer fails to capture the social meaning, status, and context from which skin color and race as a social construction are interconnected, end quote. The point there is that race again, and this was an idea I initially had, is like, oh, why, for skin color, why can't we just create a device, I'm sure it exists, we have really smart people out there, that just measures someone's skin color, the shade of it, the color of it, you know, and then see how that works out for different people but as he points out that is to detach it from maybe there's something interesting there there's something we can find there there's something that would be scientifically valuable but that does detach it from the social meaning the status and the context from which that skin color and race are connected and and how that all matters and so maybe darker skin within one race is treated different in another race to have darker skin but naturally be lighter. Maybe it's a certain time of the year where some person gets darker than another person. Maybe one person has a higher propensity to starts off lighter, but then with a little bit of sun exposure, it gets darker than the other person. And so there's all these different things that that's not fully able to account for, but it is something that might be helpful. So all that in preface and all that as a lot of the meat of what Garcia is trying to get at here is what does Garcia find in his race project and how does he do that? So what does he do? He looks through the ICPSR, again, the, the Inter-University Consortium for Political and Social Science Research and reviews hundreds of studies. He looks at the variables that scientists have used to capture race. And specifically, he also looks at how many variables and those types of variables that are used to measure race. So let's go through some of the findings here. So. He puts together all of the articles. I think there are 256 that he pulls from high quality articles. 
352. I can't remember which one exactly. Um, but then he looks at the discipline of the PI, the principal investigator. He looks at the race of the PI. He looks at what is the point of this study? What field of study is this being done in? How long after the PI's PhD is this? Where is it being funded from? What is the gender of the PI? And so all these different uh, characteristics of the studies. And so of the, we have here, um, I think it's 250 articles, but it's a total of like 352 PIs. So that's starting to make more sense to me. So white PIs make up 82% of all the research on race, all the studies that have used race as a measurement. 82% of them have been done by white Anglo people. 26% have been done by African Americans. 30 or no, sorry, 30 or 9% have been done by Latinos, 7 or 2% have been done by Asian Americans, 1 or 0.3% have been done by American Indians, and 8 or 2.3% have been conducted by um, someone of some other race. So let's look here at what I think is kind of interesting to show the salience of race as a concept, the increasing importance of race as something that's being studied. And it gives here the periods that the studies are conducted. And so before 1960, there's only eight studies of race. That's only 3% of all the studies that he looks at. But each year, there's a general increase in the percentage of studies that make up his sample. So before 1960 is 3%, 1961 and 1970, we get up to 13%. That's probably an anomaly because that's such a social hotbed of a year. In the 70s, there's 28 studies. In the 80s, there's 21, not too different. But in 1991 and 2000, there's 58. And then in 2000 to 2011, there's 106. And then I would bet between 2011 and 2020, there would be many more than that and so it's kind of showing something that i talked about in the beginning that rep is is becoming an increasingly important field of study and that race in and of itself because it still matters for social outcomes it unfortunately in a lot of ways um, is being increasingly studied the scope of focus for a lot of these studies some of the largest ones um 21 of all the studies that he looks at that include race as a variable are done in criminal justice. 14% are done in sociology. 15% are in health. Health, I think that's the second most one actually, or the third most one. Um, health does a lot to study race and includes race. Race ethnicity, no surprise, there are 33 studies in his sample, but because that's even a smaller subfield is race and, race and ethnicity than economics and criminal justice, I would guess that 33 makes up a large percent of the race and racial studies, more than 52 makes up of criminal justice studies. Politics, political science and public opinion, 39 or 15% of the articles that he looks at. And so this is something that I think is the most interesting finding here that he talks about again in the abstract where he says how the race of the PI affects how they include race as a concept. So the number of race-related items within each study and the racial terms that the PI uses to capture the racial identity of the respondent. 
of the studies, 256 just ask a simple, so 100% of the ones that he's looking at here, ask a simple, how do you identify? What is your racial group? Sometimes it's probably even, what is your racial group? Not even how you identify. Assuming that it's some essentialist conception, at least when it says, how do you identify? We know that we're dealing with self-identification, not some um, essentialist, oh, what is your race? You know, As if that's like, oh, I can just look at this piece of paper and it'll exactly tell me. 108 of them include questions about ethnicity, how race and ethnicity are different. Hopefully that's understood. I don't have time to go into that, but they are different. Race is more about this large social category. Ethnicity is about the, your maybe nationality or your country, the country that you come from. Um, anyways, that's a whole different thing, but hopefully they're known as different. 32 articles ask about discrimination. Um, let's see, three of them ask about skin color. And so the point here is that 100% of the articles ask about race. Um, 42, or yeah, so a lot of them use how do you identify, what is your race, but most of them only use one single question to capture racial identity. And this is his whole point here, is that a single question to capture racial identity is not sufficient to conduct a scientific study that is actually telling us about the different experiences and the different outcomes that people of different racial identities have. Only 16% of the studies use two types of questions to capture racial identity. 11%, it just goes down, 11% use 29, or 11% use three terms, 5% use four terms, 4% use five terms, but 21% use six or more. So the range of race-related terms for the six and more was anywhere between six and 35 instances within the study. I would guess a lot of those are within race and ethnicity. But the point here is that most people just settle for, okay, what's your race? That's informative enough for us, but it's actually not, is this point. And then this is the really important point about how the race of the PI, oh, people can, you know, it doesn't matter what, what race the study area is, as long as the person's doing good research, that's all that really matters. Oh, contraire, this John Garcia says. If you look at the race of the PI and how many terms they use, let's look at white PIs, the vast majority of PIs. White PIs, 115 out of 258 use just one term. Of African-American PIs, only two of 17 use one term. 14 out of 17 use five or more terms. So something like 75%, 80% of black PIs are using five or more terms to capture race. But only, but 85%, now, maybe like 40% of whites are using just one term. So the point here, and then the same holds true for Latino, Asian American, Native American, other. The point here is that most of the people, white people doing the research here are asking a simple one-term question about someone's racial identity. But the researchers in race and ethnicity, the researchers who are not themselves white, there's probably something there about they know that race isn't as simple as this, or they're more interested in what race is. And this, I can't think of an exact example off the head, but it's almost like a doctor asking, oh, do you have, oh, you have this sickness or something. Here's a single question that's going to give me information about how to heal you. But if you actually have that sickness when you're a doctor, maybe you're going to ask three or four questions to say, oh, this is the standard question, but when I had it, I remember these were really important. These were really helpful. These were really clarifying to me. That actually helped me get diagnosed and, and get better. 
not to compare race as any sort of sickness or anything, but just to say that I think what Garcia is trying to show here is that race is not only salient in these studies, but even in our own meta studies, our meta analyses of studies, is that race is mattering for how many questions a PI is asking that capture race because probably because white people don't have complex and understanding they're not they're just seen as white they're treated as white they think of themselves as white and they don't even think of themselves as white very often because they're always around white people whereas people of color maybe more frequently are not around only other people of color and have to interact especially pis who are in academic settings that are 81% of PIs there are white people, you know, they're maybe more familiar with the racial identity and the complexity of it. And so I think that's the main point here that Garcia is making is that race does matter. It's complex. The way that we've studied it for 60 plus years is not doing justice to the complexity of it. And the people who are mostly studying race are not doing a great job of trying to capture that complexity. And those people who are not doing a great job of capturing the complexity are, guess what, white. And so that's a big point that Garcia is trying to make here. And so now to just go to the conclusions, what is the main conclusion that we should take away from this? Garcia says the challenge for researchers lies with dealing directly with these complexities and more theoretically rich ways to conceptually frame race and develop more extensive measures. Excuse me. At the same time, adding complexity would require greater conceptual clarity of race and multiple measures. This could reduce a tension between parsimony of items slash measures and limitations of time and costs. Yet, this phenomenon is an ever-present task of social science efforts to operationalize concepts into valid and reliable measures. I really like that conclusion that he leaves us with. The essential challenge that this article is giving us, that it does not answer all of the questions that we are left with, is how do we find the balance between creating more robust measures of race that capture the complexity that tell us things about the complexity of race while maintaining parsimonious valid measures that are still statistically significant maybe it's easy to get a thousand respondents that identify as black within a survey but how big might the category be when it's oh i'm half white half black people mostly think of me as black this is my skin color but culturally identify more with white you know, that, that tells you something a little bit more about what race means to someone. But how, I think that's close to the dimensionality problem in matching methods is where I learned about it. But the problem is that the more complex you get, the more categories you're going to have to fill to reach statistical significance to actually... So th the tension is that you're trying to more scientifically, more robustly measure things. But in doing that, you're losing the robustness of those measures when you have so many questions like that. And so researchers, essentially, there's not a single answer. That's something that I noted is I wanted to leave this article with, okay, in my research, how do I now go about doing this right? Right? I just want a simple packaged answer. This is what I need to do now. It's as simple as this. These are the four magic questions I need to ask that are going to correctly capture race and all of its complexity. And then I just analyze them. But it's not that simple. I've taken away that each researcher needs to individually seriously consider these things, need to think about what are the aims of their research study. Are they trying to better capture race? Are they really trying to tell us something about what race means empirically or what it means and trying to empirically show that in a study? And 
Would it be beneficial for them to have more complex measures? Would it actually be damaging to what they're trying to come away with from this research? And so something that I've done that I've mentioned in my my own research of interracial marriage is to just run regressions for the different groups to capture some of that complexity. I think something to check too specifically on the CMPS is, you know, what are all the different racial identities that someone checks? And then what is the general category that they're put under? So someone may indicate, oh, I'm, I'm white and I'm Hispanic. But then what is the, I forget what it's called, the race ethnicity quota? What is their primary identity? And then also ask, what do they identify as when they're walking down the street or what would someone think that they are additionally asked i think only of asian and hispanic respondents is what identity do you see as most important your american identity your racial identity your ethnic identity and so in that we at least have those questions that's something i like about the cmps is that we don't have to use them because maybe it would destroy the parsimony the concision of what I'm trying to study. But if I need to study that and I want to study that, then I can study that thanks to these questions, thanks to this thoughtfulness. And so making sure I'm not forgetting any here, I really like this article. Like I said, it's not necessarily canonical. I do like it a lot. I think it's really informative. He's pulling from a lot of serious thinkers. And so I would check out the the, uh, references. I always want to say the works cited, but I'm learning new genres of the new genre of political science. So they're called references. I grew up in MLA, English, works cited type of stuff. So references, I'm beginning to use that term. (laughs) And so I would comb through those. I would see who's cited, where they cited, just do a quick control F of them in the PDF or something. Very heavily um, researched article. It has a lot of really, really interesting stuff there. So I'd point anyone there who is interested in the concept of race, interested in how it's been thought about not necessarily philosophically not necessarily you know some other ology but within social sciences and that's why i chose this article because it's very specific to the question at hand and just want to thank dr john garcia for the great work he put into this one next week we'll be taking a look at racial consciousness and its history in political science I'm very excited. This is a topic that I had to do a lot of thinking about on my interracial marriage project. And I think there's a lot of rich history here that tells us a lot about how, a lot more about how race is thought about, what it means to each individual person. I love it as an example of um, scientific precision, difference between racial consciousness, racial identity, how someone is how someone else might treat them or how someone else might see their racial identity. And then we're going to begin to turn it more into the empirical studies of, okay, how, what do people think race does in politics? Do they think it matters at all? I want to cover racial resentment in this series. I want to cover a lot of different things. And so we'll probably cover unprecedentedly, probably cover a couple articles next week. I'm thinking, um, Paula D. McLean et al.'s 2009 article, Group Membership, Group Identity, and Group Consciousness, Measures of Racial Identity in American Politics. A couple other ones by uh, Masuoka that maybe I would want to read, Chong and Kim, Chong and Rogers, another one comes to mind, Miller and Gurin, and some of those pieces. So we'll probably cover a couple different pieces trying to go the wide range of what racial consciousness is next week. Thank you so much again for listening. I have a Twitter at PolySciReport, at P-O-L-I-S, 
CI report. You can follow for updates, place to find political science information, and just go to who I follow. You'll find a lot of great researchers that I respect and look up to, as well as my personal website, johnmmurphy.squarespace.com. I wonder who <laughs> I'm running the website on, Squarespace, obviously. I want to thank everyone for listening. I was going to say one last thing. No, yeah, thanks so much for listening. Look forward to seeing you next week, and hope you have a great holiday season. Thanks so much. Oh, the last thing I want to say is shout out to Alec Ortiz for creating the intro and outro to this piece, to these article, to these podcasts. He's a really talented friend who is a computer scientist, but also makes music and is just so creative. And, and he was generous enough to help me out in coming up with something. So shout out to Alec for making that intro and outro. Thanks so much again, and I'll see you next week.